Well, there's a word that we often throw around today in our culture, and that word is sometimes overused. And because we overuse it so often, we kind of fail to realize what it truly means. And that word is love. And because we misunderstand that word, sometimes we misunderstand the love that Jesus has for us. And now you could quickly say, well, we know that God is love. That's what scripture says. So how can we misunderstand that? Well, think about it this way. Think about all the ways we use the word love today. We love our families. We love our jobs. We love our pets. We love our schools. We love our churches. We love our favorite sports team. We love nature, right? Those are all good things, but I could probably guarantee, hopefully, You don't love your pet the same way you love your wife, or you don't love your sports team more than you love your wife. We all love them differently in their own individual ways. But also there's another issue how we see love today. And it's because we attach conditions to how we love. You know, we'll say things like, I love you until, or I love you as long as you do this. I love you, but you know, we we start adding conditions to this love. So we have this cultural obsession with this conditional love. And because we have that obsession, sometimes we'll fail to understand the fullness of the love that Jesus has for us. Now for centuries, songwriters and poets have been trying to articulate the love that Jesus has for his people through songs, through masterful works of poetry, right? And so we think about all the different songs you probably sing uh, in church or around Easter time specifically, all the ways we try to capture the love of Jesus. There's an old hymn You may not be familiar with it called, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And I love the way the writer tries to articulate and capture the fullness and the vastness of love. He says this in the song, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is that current of thy love, leading me onward, leading me homeward toward thy glorious rest Above. Think about that line, the, the fullness of God's love rushing over me like a current, like a wave. Well, today we're going to look at John chapter 13. We're going to try to see this fullness of his love and what that truly means. And we're going to look at one verse in chapter 13 that honestly, most people would think of this verse. They'll just kind of skip through it because it kind of seems like a, a, tran- a transitional verse. Uh, but it, And I, for the longest time, that's how I kind of read it. It's just one of these verses that's just kind of getting you from point A to point B. But I remember the, a couple of years ago when I read this and it hit me how deep the love of Jesus is because of what it says. And it's John 13, verse 1. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Now listen to this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Right? He loved them to the end. A couple of things just kind of break down that passage. Just one verse, uh, just break it down for you. It says that he knew his hour had come. All throughout the, the Gospel of John specifically and all the other Gospels too, we see that word hour pop up a lot. Right? So we look at John chapter 2 and he says to his mother, woman is not yet my time. My hour has not yet come. He's referring to a specific moment that was in the future where he would be glorified. And we know that to be the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection. And all along throughout his ministry, his eyes were set forward on that specific moment. And it says here, he knew that his hour had come, that perfect time, the fulfillment of time had come for him to leave this world, right? So he could, he could easily say, I'm done, I'm ready to go. But it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the full 
extended. Maybe your uh, translation says the fullness of his love was shown or he loved them to the end. This is where we're going to focus our thoughts over the next few moments. As we read John 13, we're going to summarize kind of the rest of the passage, but I want you to see a few different things in this passage. Jesus shows us the fullness of his love through his divine purpose, shown through his divine demonstration, while revealing his divine command to us. So where is his divine purpose shown? It's right there in verse 1 when he says, he loved them to the very end. He chose to love his disciples to the very end. He could have easily said, I'm out, I've done my duty, I've healed a bunch of people, I've raised the dead, now it's time for me to leave. Or he could have mentally and emotionally just turned off and said, I'm just gonna endure the next few days, I'm just gonna endure the next few moments and just wait for my father to bring me home. But that's not what he does. He chose to love his followers to the very end and show them the fullness of his love. That was his divine purpose. Now, what was the divine demonstration? It's actually in verses 2 through 30, and we'll kind of summarize them. You know this passage. This is the passage of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and then breaking bread with them. So the story kind of uh, breaks it down this way, that Jesus, while at the meal with the people, uh, his followers, he, he takes off his outer garment, wraps it around his waist, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, you need to understand this duty that he's performing was usually done by a slave or by a servant. This was not done by a master or a teacher. This was set aside specifically for servants. And he chose in this moment to lay aside the master symbolism and just fully come as a servant to his people and to his disciples. And he goes around the room washing his disciples' feet one after another. But you need to remember who all is in this room. Right, Because in the next few days, you're going to have Peter, this man who is so passionate about loving his Savior, but he's also going to deny him three times. We also see Thomas, who kind of gets a bad rap sometimes for his doubting after the resurrection, but he was there also. But there's another person that we need to talk about. Judas was still present in the room. Judas was still here, and it says here he had already had made his plans to betray Jesus. He already has his payment of the 30 pieces of silver. He has already made the plan to hand him over to the Roman guards and the Jewish officials. This has already taken place. And it says, Jesus washed his feet. Just imagine that scene for, for a moment as he's going around the room washing every single one of their feet. And one of the other gospels talks about how Peter was quick to say, I don't want you to wash my feet. But he's doing so. He's doing so as a humble servant. Now imagine the torment that Jesus is probably experiencing as he was washing Judas' feet. The all-knowing God in flesh knows what Judas was set aside to do, knows what Judas, Judas is about to do. He washes his feet. He loves him. He's washing his feet as he probably looks up into the eyes of Judas and he probably sees the very pain that Judas is carrying as well because now Judas is there. Imagine this for a, for a moment as he's seeing Jesus beneath him washing his feet. He's already agreed to betray him. He already has the money, but yet he's still being shown unconditional love. His heart was already filled with sorrow and betrayal. It's a beautiful scene to wash the washing of the feet, but it goes on further. It moves from the foot washing to the passing of the bread and the breaking of the bread. This is how we usually celebrate the Last Supper. I want you to kind of look at a couple things with me. Because you see in verses 22 through 24, you can kind of get a glimpse and some experts have kind of broken it down to see kind of based off tradition and what we can read into the text, where kind of people are located. 
And from the context, we can tell John, the beloved apostle who wrote this very letter, is leaning against the right side of Jesus. Now, I'm sitting at a table. It wasn't the exact same way. They were more on the floor, on their legs, sitting on their knees around this room together. And the position of honor was actually the one to the left of the host. And because of the dialogue that we see between Jesus and John, Jesus and Judas, most people believe that Judas is actually seated to the very left of Jesus, and that is the position of honor. Now think about that for, for a second. So not only is Jesus washing Judas's feet, he's also given him a place of honor and a place of respect. And then he dips the morsel of bread, the, the little piece of bread, into the common dish and hands it to him. Now he said, the one who's going to betray me is the one I'm going to dip this bread in and give it to. Right? And, but to, to understand what that even is, to break off a morsel of bread and do that with somebody, was actually an, uh, an offering of companionship, an offering of friendship and honor to the one who receives it. You can actually look in the story of Ruth and Ruth chapter 2. We see this exact same thing happening uh, when they enter into a relationship with one another. They dip the, the bread in the, in the oil and they hand it to the other one to offer that relationship. So Jesus in this moment is showing love, mercy, honor, friendship, grace, restoration to the very one who's going to betray him to be killed. And the passage says it is in that very moment that Satan fully enters into Judas and he gets up and he leaves the room, right? To go and do what he's getting ready to do. And Jesus says in that moment, now is the time for the son of man, son of God to be glorified and God is glorified in him. The time has come, it's now at hand. And then we see this beautiful passage in verse 34 and 35 of chapter 13 when it says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So now with Judas out of the room, his eyes and his focus is now fixated on the leaven who remain and he gives them a divine command. So he's shown them the divine purpose. He has shown the divine demonstration. Now is the divine command to love one another. Now with some readers, we quickly say, well, that's just like the Mosaic law, right? To love God and to love thy neighbor. But Jesus is, going, is showing them something completely radical. Because so often what we do is we end up loving those who are like us. The Jews were doing this. They were loving the Jews. They weren't loving Gentiles. It wasn't just, hey, love those around you in this room tonight. He says, I want you to love one another. The one another means everyone. Love one another as I have loved you. And so often the Jews would water down the laws of God. And, you know, we even see the story in Matthew when the story of the Good Samaritan and the guy challenges him and says, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Because they wanted to define who their neighbor was. They wanted to put conditions on their love. But here, Jesus is stating love one another without conditions. Now, thank you for the cultural context for a moment in Rome. or The Romans are in charge. The Romans despise the Jews. The Jews despise the Romans. The Greek despise the Romans. The Greeks despise the Jews. Everyone pretty much hates each other, right? And so now Jesus comes in with this new radical love, one that will defy cultural standards and says, I want you to love one another. One writer says this about how the world was changed because of this command. He says that barbarian, Scythian, bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, all educated and ignorant, sat down at one table. They felt themselves all one in Christ Jesus. They were ready to break all other bonds and to yield to uniting forces that streamed out from his cross. There had never been anything like it. 
No wonder the world began to babble about sorcery and conspiracies and complicity and unnameable vices. It was only that the disciples were obeying the new commandment to love one another. A new thing had come into a world, a community held together by love, not by geographical accidents or linguistic affinities or iron fetters or a conqueror. The new commandment made a new thing and the world wondered or the world marveled. The object of love was one another, to love one another. But what was the measure of how we were to love? The measure was, as I have loved you. This divine command measures of this, this divine command measures our love against the love of Jesus. It was already hard enough to love our neighbor as ourselves, but now Jesus is saying, I want you to love your neighbor, love one another as I have loved you. This sacrificial love was just demonstrated before them as he was willing to wash every one of their feet, every one of them, their, their souls, right? And to think about, think about this later, as John's writing these words, you know, 20, 30 years after the resurrection, as he's putting pen to paper, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing these words of how amazed he probably was about how much Jesus loved him. How amazed he was that Jesus was still in love with Judas, still loving Peter, still loving Thomas, Matthew, all the disciples. He probably marveled at this and think, man, he truly loved us. He showed what love truly looked like. It was a divine demonstration of his love. Now, church, that's where we find today our divine mission as followers of Jesus. He says, by this, the world will know. If you love one another as I have loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. So in a time and a place where the world seems very dark sometimes, we have to remember the darkest day has already happened. The darkest day was when our son, the son of God, our savior was placed upon a cross and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. That was the darkest day, but it turned out to be the most glorious day when he rose up out of the grave. We love Jesus. We love him because he took the guilt and the sin and the shame for us. So now in response to that love, we love one another as he has loved us. It's time for the believer to remember that divine demonstration where he was willing to wash someone's feet, to show love and to show compassion to everyone, to show honor, respect, and worth, to show a world that the only to show the world that a love that only comes from God to humble ourselves in the same manner as Jesus. So as our divine mission is to love Jesus, is also to love people in the same way. That was a divine command of Jesus, to love one another as he has loved us. We've been shown a divine demonstration of what that love looks like. One that requires no conditions, one that requires no stipulations, or it just simply requires compassion, mercy, grace, and humility. A willingness to bow down before everyone, not just the ones we like, but before everyone, and be willing to wash someone else's feet. That's our purpose to love and live like Jesus. Will you love Jesus? Will you love others like he has?